This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. I'm lucky to get to talk to Dr. Michael Phillips, a noted historian and the author of White Metropolis, which is a great book, everybody. I recommend it completely. But you're working on another book now on eugenics. I'm not sure a lot of people know what eugenics is. Could you tell us? This was accepted as common wisdom in the scientific community, beginning in the 1880s, going into really, it begins to peak and decline in the 1940s, although it never completely disappeared. It's the idea that you could breed humans like you breed cattle, Mm -hmm. breed out low intelligence, as they put it, or idiocy, the term they use, uh, criminality, drunkenness. They were even trying to eliminate nearsightedness and so on. But it was very much motivated by racism. And this is the scientific cover that Hitler and the Nazis used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that it's scientific, but that was their cover. Right, right. In fact, the Americans and the British who embraced this idea influenced German scientists. The idea was really flowering here before it was flowering in Germany. But anyway, so... Uh, we came across a mystery. Uh, you know, I was interested in the topic. Texas was one of only 12 states out of, at that point, 48, when the last eugenic well, eugenics laws passed, that didn't pass a sterilization law. Across the country, states passed laws that allowed the state to order you to get a vasectomy, uh, you know, earlier to be castrated, you know, women to uh, undergo tubal ligations, other surgeries to prevent them from having children. Since this is Black History Month, I just want to ask, is it not true that there was a heavy racial bias in all this eugenic stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, It was done so frequently, these uh, forced sterilizations on black women in Mississippi, it was called Mississippi, a Mississippi appendectomy. And Fannie Lou Hamer, who was one of the you know leading voices and elo- most eloquent voices for the civil rights movement, daughter of sharecroppers, mm-hmm. was subjected to that. So yeah, definitely uh, Latinx people, poor people, poor whites were subjected to this. It didn't happen in Texas. And I, uh, what the argument we're developing is that the Texas growers, Texas planters, you know, the people who own the big estates were worried about the anti-immigrant aspect of the eugenics movement because they're definitely against immigration because they worried that these Jews, these Poles, these Russians and so on and Mexicans were racially inferior. We had to shut the door to them. And these growers wanted to exploit Mexican labor. And so they, they spoke out very much about both immigration restrictions. There was a sweeping anti-immigration law passed in 1924. Texas got them to exempt people from Mexico interestingly enough, given today's politics. And uh, and they tended to be really critical of a project that would present the so-called racial inferiors as being a threat, uh, you know, for, in that regard. You know, they wanted a, a population they could take advantage of in the fields. So the big, the big growers in Texas were not any less racist. They just wanted to make sure they had plenty of people working. Yeah, uh, it was a case where greed... 
and capitalist exploitation conflicted with white supremacist ideology. It was, it's kind of, a, kind of a surprising thing. One other thing that's an interesting paradox is eugenics flourished where there were developed universities, uh, well-funded public school systems. And one of the ironies is anti-intellectualism which has been a powerful force in Texas, led these universities to be underfunded and not draw top talent in Texas. And those were the people who usually promoted eugenics. So there's this classist assumption that the poor and the working class are, are the racist. But what I found is the racism filters from the top and that the white supremacist project is guided by elites. And so there are a lot of uh, surprising twists and turns there. And the, the earliest advocate for eugenics in America that I can find was actually a doctor named Gideon Lipscomb in the 1850s before the term had even been coined. He may have been the first spokesman for selective breeding of humans to produce a superior race. So that was, that, that was kind of an interesting find. Well, let's turn to the the situation at Collin College, because uh, about a year or so ago uh, on KNON radio, we began talking about people who had been fired or had their employment terminated and unfairly. And they began to, there was, began to be a kind of a movement about it. I know that one of them settled, took a cash settlement, dropped out. And then suddenly they came after you. Collin College has declared war on free speech, period. Uh, I'm the third out of four officers uh, for the local of the Collin Texas Faculty Association. That's a non-bargaining union. And in two years, three of the officers of that union have been fired. My First Amendment issues at the college started when I advocated removal of Confederate statues. I got a basically a warning about that. And it's been ongoing since. And then the, uh, the tipping point apparently for the college was I urged mask wearing amongst my students. And I made public that the college had imposed a gag rule where they told professors couldn't mention mask at all. In class, you know, they couldn't say, I really want you to wear a mask. You can make them available, but you, you couldn't urge it on part of your students or in your syllabus. And so there was a PowerPoint with this rule, the gag rule. I made it public because the public had a right to know and because professors had the right, like all citizens, to address matters of public concern. And so that's what started the process this year to fire me. But it's been an ongoing issue. I've been outspoken about uh, you know, management issues there. The president was reported by an investigative reporter as making anti-Semitic and racist jokes. I, I made a public point of that, you know, asking for accountability for that. It's been an uncomfortable situation, to say the least. How can people get behind you and get behind free speech? Well, uh, you know, we have an elected board. <laughs> and one thing is, uh, you know, if people want to express themselves to that board, I think that's the best way to do it, you know, is to, uh, if they're trying to suppress speech, engage in more speech, speaking, writing, uh, say what, say what you think. It is a tax supported institution. And so they're accountable to the public. But of course, what happens is in these uh, college board races, there's so few participate in it. 
And I mean, that's important because basically most people get a public school education, a smaller number get college. And if you don't have an uh, academic freedom and you can't address the history of labor movement, the history of racism, the history of sexism, uh, uh, you know, that that's the best source of information if for many people. Uh, some people will go and they'll do their, you know, they'll go to the library, they'll, they'll, they'll educate themselves, but this is a, a great venue the higher education system for people gaining consciousness. And I think that's what they're afraid of. They, they'd rather people not be aware a past that's filled with people who've resisted oppression. And how do you expect over the next few months to continue speaking out, especially against racism in Texas? Are you going to keep going at it? Well, we're going to finish our eugenics book. We're going to promote that. I'm available. I speak a lot and hopefully we'll see how COVID goes. I've had to do it virtually the last, you know, I guess couple of years, but you know, I'm always there. I've been part of the equal justice initiative in Dallas. I narrated a film for them. They're getting uh, markers knowing where lynchings took place in Dallas County. There was horrific lynching where I live in Collin County, a man named Commodore Jones. And we have Confederate monuments in Collin County, but we don't have a marker for that lynching. And so I I see that as an important part of public uh, education. You're not going to shut up. You're not I gonna, have no plans. I have no plans to shut up. I'll find a venue and I'll, I'll also fight for my rights, uh, you know, legally. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.